0: You're listening to That's Pretty Dark.
1: The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children.
0: And still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders.
1: And under our beds. And in our closets. And together we'll realize, "Whoa, that's pretty dark. That's pretty dark. (laughs) Hey. Hi. This is a very, very exciting episode. Ooh, yeah. This is the very first movie night episode that Christian (laughs) is going to do for us. Yeah. Which I'm personally super pumped for.
0: (laughs) I'm pretty excited about it.
1: I'm Kaylin, by the way.
0: Yeah. And like you just said a second ago, I'm Christian.
1: Welcome back to That's Pretty Dark, guys.
0: And true to form, not only is this my first movie night, but this is going to be a movie night in three parts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who's surprised? Is anyone not, surprised? Not no. Me. Christian likes his series.
0: I do, but there's a pretty good reason uh, for doing it this time. And that's because I am going to be working on a movie uh, coming up next month for an entire month. So we won't have time to record or put out any new content. So we're getting it all done now for you guys to enjoy.
1: We're, yeah, uh, we're going to make interim. it happen. So much Goonie content coming your way. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed our movie night trips down memory lane, but like it's been a lot of stress to come up with all this stuff. And now this time you've handled that stress. Yeah. So I just get to be here. I watched the movie and you get to tell me all about it. And it's I way can't more wait. fun
0: to just watch the movie and then talk to somebody. Who's yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm pretty excited. <clears throat>
0: Telling you all about it.
1: I'm pretty excited.
0: But I'm excited, even though I've been scrambling to get it ready the past couple of days because I have a lot of really fun information. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to talk you, about it. You sound it. really
1: smug about that. You, <laughs> st- you sound really smug about all the great information that you have, but I'm excited to hear it. I'm way. so smug. Smug or not? It's
0: one of those moments where you realize like, oh yeah, this is why I'm doing this podcast. Oh yeah, love those. Because this is one of my all-time favorite movies.
1: Mm-hmm. This
0: one and The Nightmare Before Christmas were my two favorite movies. I'm wearing my Goonie shirt Right. I was about now, to say
1: you've got your Goonies shirt. Yeah, my shirt Goonies on.
0: never say die shirt. I love the Goonies. It is everything I love about the 80s and a lot of my childhood. But I never knew all the background of who made it, how it was made. I've never looked into that kind of thing before. Me neither. It's incredible. Now I have all this, you know, trivial <laughs> knowledge <laughs> about this movie that I I wouldn't have had otherwise cuz Yeah. I don't know. So- sometimes I'll go research things. That I care about, but it's not every day I'm like, "Ooh, let me research everything about this movie I watched, you know, 25 years ago for the for the first time."
1: Yeah, it's like, it gives it gives us a great reason to go back over things that we love, definitely. and it makes us love them even more. Mm-hmm. And I hope that's how it is for you, listener.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, have we said the name of the movie yet?
1: No, I guess I
0: did. Goonies.
1: Oh, you did because <laughs> you said you were wearing the shirt. Yeah, yeah, you sure did.
0: So, anyway. To start over, today, (laughs) tonight, we're discussing one of the most beloved cult classics of all time, the epitome of 80s nostalgia, in my opinion, Mm. and quite possibly the father of the modern adventure movie, Story Structure. Mm. So like I said, I never really knew much about how it was made or any of the people involved. I just grew up watching it with my sister, Lauren, Mm -hmm. and two of our cousins that would come to visit from out of town. And they'd stay over. We'd all crash in my room and watch movies all night.
1: Man, you had the cousins, like from Are You Afraid of the Dark? You had your cousins. I had my cousins. Me and my cousins. <laughs> the childhood quintessential cousin. Hey. You
0: and your cousins. Vampire Weekend. Anybody?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they'd come over. We'd do all the popcorn with the pretzels um, that we talked about. You know, we'd make the cookies. These were the best movie nights when they'd come to town. Oh, yeah. Um, we'd watch the same movies over and over. Goonies, The Mummy. Jaws, you know, uh, Indiana Jones, all these really kinds of. Really,
1: everything that you tell me that you love. Mm-hmm,
0: pretty much, yeah. Those magical it nights. It surprises
1: me that Labyrinth never made its way in there for you because that I know. was like my cousin movie <laughs> that we watched at our grandparents' house.
0: I don't know how it didn't. It was in that sweet spot. This movie was originally gifted to me as a VHS by uh, my very Christian aunt, my mom's <laughs> sister, who had no <laughs> idea how many curse words are in this movie and how yeah. many mature concepts. Were presented yeah. in this movie. Yeah. No clue.
1: I, w- I didn't know the right moment to bring it up, but I personally didn't watch the Goonies as a child. I didn't see it until I was, I think, in college. Oh, I was going to for ask that exact you, reason. What
0: your history is? So, yeah. because it was pretty inappropriate. Yeah, that's why you weren't allowed to watch it. Yeah,
1: I don't think I like. I don't. My parents never said you can't watch that movie, mm-hmm. but it was like it was just never brought into the house. It's
0: just one of know? those. Yeah, that's so yeah. funny because my parents had no idea. Like, all my aunt knew is that it was a very popular movie from the 80s and that it was rated PG, Mm -hmm. which we've discussed, you know, the rating standards (laughs) before.
1: Most things that were rated PG in the 80s should not
0: have (laughs) been rated PG. Should not have been PG.
1: (laughs) I mean, this this film is easily, by today's standards, easily PG-13. Oh,
0: definitely. Definitely. Over the top. And I don't know for certain. I'm going to get into some of the, like, deleted scenes. Mm. I don't know for certain. I think there was an F-bomb in one of the deleted scenes. Wow. So, it could, it would still pass as PG-13 today, but yeah. even that's a bit shocking when you look back at it. That this, I mean, you did you didn't watch it for that for that reason. Right, exactly. So, but I I was going to say I assume the only reason why she thought it was okay or my parents would have thought it was fine or really anything is like if she saw it It would have been on TV.
1: And everything would have been cut out.
0: Yes, exactly. So a lot of Mm -hmm. these movies, a lot of what we consumed as kids, a lot of what was given the okay by our parents, it it was because we watched it on TV or it was first seen on TV.
1: Yep. That makes total sense, honestly. Like
0: we would watch Beetlejuice on TV.
1: Yeah, I did watch that. And then
0: even my older sister at one point was like... Have you seen it? Not on TV. I'm like, yeah, it's way more mature (laughs) than we used to think. Absolutely. And
1: honestly, I don't think that my grandparents knew the content of like Labyrinth because I mean, I come from, as I've mentioned, an ultra conservative family. And so- there are often things that I watch that I'm like, whoa! Like clearly they either didn't watch this beforehand, or they didn't think they needed to screen it because it was rated G. Right. But right. <laughs> for for whatever reason, it was rated G, but it shouldn't have been. Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, when I rewatched it for this for this episode, I was like, oh my god, no wonder! Like I remember thinking that in college too, but you know, in the context of this podcast, looking at at it through the lens that we are looking at it. Yeah. I was like oh, I understand now. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: That's, this is why my my mother probably didn't want this movie in her house. I Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah. And it's funny because the Duffer brothers with Stranger Things, one of their main things was these kids have to cuss.
1: Oh, I know. Because
0: that was a trope of the 80s.
1: In Stranger Things, I thought it was executed so well. It was perfectly done. So well done. But I do think that if I was a kid today, my mom wouldn't let me watch Stranger Things.
0: <laughs> oh, no, as a kid, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It's just really, really interesting. The sort of like in home censorship standards that we were. They're just
1: words, y'all. They're just
0: words. They're just words. They're just words. I remember one of the first times, totally off topic, one of the first times an R rated movie came on my neighbor's TV and they had like HBO or whatever. So we knew it wasn't going to be censored. And my sister was like putting her foot down. She was like, we are not going to watch this, blah, blah, blah. And it came on TV and I was just mesmerized like, what's going to happen? (laughs) <laughs> what happens in R rated movies? You, oh my goodness, you were
1: waiting for the waiting shoe to drop. for anything You're crazy, like, and it was like I've been told this our car
0: driving down the road, like nothing happened. And I was like, Where's all the bad language? Where's all the naked ladies? What is this? <laughs> like, I'm missing out.
1: That's too funny. I, fun story about R rated movies. I actually, you know, being my ultra conservative high school self that didn't know any different. I went to see an R-rated movie with my high school boyfriend at the time mm. and I walked out. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this. And I ended up walking out. Yeah.
0: What was so bad about it?
1: Just the language, I think, yeah. and like just a ton of innuendo and like references to sex and everything. And apparently, oh, that the was worst too things much in the for world. my. Mm, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I don't know. Stuff's it was probably, icky. I mean, it was when I was old enough to see an R-rated movie. So yeah. maybe 17. I don't know. Right,
0: right. That's funny,
1: but I I do remember like getting angry at him because I was he was like he wanted to stay because he had paid for the tickets and I was like yeah but I don't want to see this (laughs) were you
0: guys like seventeen how'd you get in yeah anyway I don't know you probably snuck in
1: no that seventeen is when you can see an R-rated movie isn't it yeah I think so only time I've snuck into a theater was with you but that's another story
0: (laughs) (laughs) that was my first time too that's so funny another story for another time. (laughs) Yeah. That was a good time, though.
1: That was a great time.
0: Back on topic. We're not talking about those movies. We're talking about... This one. The Goonies. That's right. So this is our first foray into a movie that, in the director's words, Dick Donner, this was a movie for kids that was more than a kid's movie. And as we're discussing, I'd even say, it's a movie for kids that isn't a kid's movie.
1: Yes. That's our favorite kind. It's (laughs) our
0: favorite kind. I know. I watched a lot of documentaries a lot of videos on this, interviews with the makers of this movie. The cast I watched a behind the scenes making of The Goonies, which is really cool. You can find all this on YouTube. Go watch it if you have any interest. Super cool stuff. Nice. So yeah, he talked a lot about the swearing, the penis jokes, Mm -hmm. the obscene comments to the housekeeper. Uh Um, He was like basically saying he had no idea how inappropriate that stuff would be, and he wasn't really concerned. Like, he was just basically saying, I was just making what felt right to me. I'm just going with what felt good to me in the moment. I think
1: that's cool as a director. Yeah. that's That kind of hurts me because I don't feel like directors are given the same leeway today. Like, just like everything else, there's just so much more red tape that exists now. Yeah. And I mean, we're here to talk about whether or not that's, you know, good or bad for the development of children. But at the same time- I don't know. Like there's something magical about that. I just did what I thought, you know, what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen today in the same way. Right. I mean, and I don't even know that it really happened
0: then so much as it was Steven Spielberg just being a kick-ass producer and being like, hey, do whatever you want. Which is,
1: that's, yeah, that's true.
0: I think you're right. I mean, I would say that it's not, things aren't made quite on the fly as much today as they used to be. And Sean Astin talked about that. Mm -hmm. He said at one point, This was sort of the last of its kind. This this movie, how it was made, how they put it together—that
1: makes me so excited for it. It
0: it was really the end of an era of filmmaking.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: which is why it holds up for him as being so special. So yeah, he was saying like, you know, he didn't really know how how inappropriate it was, um, but he didn't really care. They were just coming up with ideas on the fly, and they were going with what felt right. And he basically said like, "I am my audience. I make movies for me." So. If I screw up, I screw up really good Mm -hmm. because any mistakes I made, I made for me. Yeah. There were choices I made for myself. Right. So if I made a mistake, I don't really care. I had fun doing it. To be
1: honest, do you know what that sounds like? Therapy? (laughs) well maybe i was gonna say it sounds like you sounds like me yeah that sounds like you thanks when it comes to when it comes to filmmaking and making art and stuff that totally sounds like you (laughs) that seems to be your mo for hey this is mine and i don't really give a shit like what other people that is kind of how i feel about it or whether i should or shouldn't do that and i feel like i'm getting more to that point in my life yeah in general (laughs) in life but also with things that i make i start to just you start to hit a wall where you're like, if I, if this doesn't matter to me, then why would it matter to anybody else? And right. that's the best art. That's the stuff that I like to consume. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it makes sense that you know this falls into that category. And it's the stuff we like to make
0: emotionally too. complex shit.
1: Emotionally complex shit. <laughs> oh yeah, that's our that's our favorite. Have
0: we said that on the podcast before? That's like one of our I don't fav- think we have. Sayings. Oh my
1: god. Yeah, over the past however long, I don't know, 6 years of me and Christian yeah. like making stuff together, you know, we'll just get into these really long diatribes of why it's important to include real life emotion and real life experience and all mm-hmm. this stuff in mm-hmm. in what we make. And I don't remember who said it first or when. But we did get to a point where, like, we were like, all we want to do is make emotionally complex shit.
0: That's <laughs> all. Every time, no e- matter
1: what it is, E, e- C S emotionally complex <laughs> shit. That's the e- only goal. Like and if you do that, then you've done it well. And I think that's kind of in the vein of what they were doing with the Goonies. There, it you yeah. know, there is emotion, but there's also that childlike. It, it's innocence, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. It's the end of innocence, almost.
0: Oh yeah, totally. Ooh, again. Like you always say, I set you oh, up for oh, okay, types of go. things. I'm over here like, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're just you're just setting the stage I'm for pumped. this, man.
1: Oof. I'm very excited.
0: So good, so good. I felt connected to uh, Richard Donner. I didn't know much about him either, and I'm going to get into more about him in a second. But he like is resonating with me. Yeah. In a, in a cool way. He's you know I he, love that. He and in the writer Chris Columbus, they're people after our own heart. There are two more people. Yeah. That I feel like we're adding to our roster of this podcast. Oh, like yeah. we have Don Bluth. We've got DJ DJ McHale. McHale. Um so now we're gonna add Dick Donner and Chris Columbus to that to that roster of people that they
1: belong there. Yeah,
0: they're one of us.
1: For sure. But
0: uh Dick gave a lot of credit to the kids. He kept throwing compliments their way. Because Um, they oh my god.
1: Like I have I Oh yeah, they're amazing. Jeez. Watching it again, like watching it as an adult. I mean I was an adult in college, but like watching it now I'm like 30, you know. It was mind-blowing mm-hmm. the way these kids were able to pull this off. The
0: chemistry, the interaction, Holy everything. Holy cow. I mean, that's probably due to to you know Dick's directing style. Yeah, to exactly. To his credit. Because he was saying, you know, he loves improv, and he could just throw an idea or a line to, to one of the kids. They'd take it and run with it. Holy cow. He said, like, he's like, they're all geniuses. They're just geniuses, all these well, kids. They, yeah. They really are. I,
1: I feel like we don't give kids enough credit in media today. Like, we don't let them have the ball. So right. to speak, like mm-hmm. they force feed things to these kids, like the Disney kids, like DJ McHale was talking about in some of the "Are You Afraid of the Dark" interviews. Right. Like they they try to gussy it up too much and play it up too much and make it something that it's not. And that's something that child actors, I just could shout this until I die. But like child actors in the eighties and nineties, it was a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. And that is incredible to me to hear that the director. I mean, you just treat them like people. Right. You treat them like people and they're talented. Right. And if you see their talent and you like raise that, like raise them that and you say, okay, you know, what can you do with this? Yeah. Clearly magic happens.
0: This is that common trend we keep seeing over and over is meeting kids where they're at. Yes. Letting them take control of the situation and be kids. Have fun. Yep. Dick Donner's doing it here. Nickelodeon did it. That was their cornerstone of their whole operation was like letting kids be kids. Man. We talk about how- Mike Flanagan, how <laughs> yes. he always directs the kids. Yes. Gets these amazing performances out of his children.
1: Incredible performance. He There's yeah. some
0: trick there. There's something to he it. He
1: gets it from children today that, that I don't see other directors doing, mm-hmm. you know, right. when he's directing kids and he's making all this horror, you know, everything that he's making is in the horror genre. Mm-hmm. So it can be delicate with children and he always nails it when he's it comes to He's pulling out that ECS. He's just- He is pulling mm, out that ECS. And using his mind powers. Yeah, and I think that that's also a lot to be said for the kids. Like, yeah, and it has I think that's what this sounds inherent. like with the Goonies. Like, you, yeah, but you know, it has to be there, and you have to allow space for it. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of sets and a lot of films they don't allow space for kids to be kids.
0: And nowadays, it moves too fast. Yeah, you're on, you're on this schedule that's so tight. Yeah, and there's so much money at stake. And there's no time for anything, so you have to just do exactly. Stranger
1: Things, I mean, Stranger Things did it too. Yeah. But I can, I know right. that there's a lot of that like money machine sort of mindset with something like Stranger Things. But still, Gaten Matarazzo,
0: but they achieved it.
1: Just oh they, man, I
0: think Goonies was on the list of movies they had to watch to prepare oh, for the it, role, it,
1: and it would have to be.
0: This is what you're doing. You're going to do this. Yeah, you're all talking and yelling at the same Which time. Is,
1: I was about to say that. And <laughs> That's also incredible because it like it really shows how important this movie was, how important The Goonies was mm-hmm. to a whole genre of film. Oh, yeah. To children acting, to the whole, just everything. It Absolutely. paved the way for things to happen that needed to happen. Yeah.
0: And that being said, this movie was released in 1985. It probably wasn't an instant cult classic, but it was well-received. It's was made with like a $19 million budget, which is pretty small for a Spielberg movie. Yeah. At the box office, it made $61 million, and worldwide, it grossed $125 million. Wow. It was one of the top 10 movies of 1985, which is a pretty big deal Yeah. for this movie for kids.
1: Kids, yeah. For kids. And it's interesting, too, that it did well in theaters because- a lot of the things that we cover didn't, you know, a lot of things that we cover were right. more like home video. Like they had to, they t- took some time, but I feel like maybe one of the reasons it was so successful in theater is mm-hmm. because they leaned into the the kids. So kids were going to see it. Kids wanted to see it, but it mm-hmm. also resonated with the adults of the time. Looking back at like what it was like to be a child when they were children, mm-hmm. it, it there were so, we talk about this a lot too, but there were so many similarities between the childhoods of the adults that were seeing this movie in the 80s. You know, so they saw themselves in this movie and that might be a reason it was successful at the time because there was immediate, immediately something that resonated with adults and with kids at the same time.
0: So I'm going to hit you with the IMDb summary. I'm ready. It's very, very short and snippy like, uh, like IMDb loves to do.
1: They like to do it that way.
0: A young group of misfits called the Goonies discover an ancient map and set out on an adventure To find a legendary pirate's long lost treasure. Mm -hmm. That's just not very good. I was gonna say that's it. (laughs) It's not even accurate.
1: Oh my god. I hope you redid it.
0: I did, I wrote my own. It's much longer, (laughs) but it's better.
1: We like our own summaries here, and that's pretty dark.
0: A group of kids who call themselves Mm -hmm. the Goonies. That's true. Are desperate to fight back against a classic 80s trope of uppity rich people buying land to build things to make more money. Yes. In this instance a country club golf course. In their search for ideas of what to do, the Goonies discover a treasure map that might lead to a treasure that may or may not exist, <laughs> buried long ago by a locally significant pirate that may or may not have ever existed himself.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: Taking advantage of the opportunity for one last adventure, the Goonies set out in quest of the quote-unquote rich stuff that'll save their homes from being demolished, finding ample amount of danger along the way in the form of tasks, booby traps, and a family of three wanted outlaws that go by the name, the Fratellis. Boom. Boom. That was great. Thank you.
1: Excellent. Yes, that is much more accurate.
0: Better than what they had on IMDb.
1: Couldn't agree more.
0: So you were saying a minute ago that the idea of it probably resonated with adults and children alike, and that's what probably drew them into the theater in the first place because, you know, the trailer looks so cool, and that's probably very true, but I would also venture to say it had to do with the names that were plastered across the screen uh, promoting this movie and who made it. And who were those people, you might ask? Well, you might have heard of Steven Spielberg, yeah. Richard Donner, also Chris Columbus. No big deal. So as we said, the director was Richard Donner, who everybody lovingly refers to as Dick. Mm -hmm. It was written by Chris Columbus, and the story was by Steven Spielberg. So he produced it. Mm. He had the original concept. He said, here, make this movie.
1: Not surprising.
0: Steven Spielberg, who needs no uh, introduction from me. Uh, of all people, I'm not the one to <laughs> to describe his we, career. We
1: are not the ones. No, no. We are
0: not the ones. We've discussed him slightly on the podcast before. His connection, I think, with Don Bluth, with An American Tale, I think. Yeah. This is our first actual Steven Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. He produced it, came up with the original story idea, which could mean anything from, hey, let's do a quirky, long-lost treasure movie, to him actually writing out a full summary of the entire plot. Right. But a few things about Steven Spielberg, if you if you just don't know who he is, he's one of the most famous and wealthiest filmmakers of all time. Mm-hmm. He directed a few small things as he was, you know, getting his legs underneath him. But his of his major directorial debuts, his first few efforts, his second big movie was Jaws. Oh. So. For your second important movie to be Jaws, you're on the right (laughs) track. I didn't
1: mean to make a sound of disgust. It was just jealousy.
0: (laughs) No, it's just jealousy. Also a movie I watched a shit ton as a kid. Yeah, me too. He pioneered, oh, lots of P's here. Get ready. Okay. He pioneered and practically perfected the practice of product placement. Whoa. (laughs) With including Reese's Pieces in E.T. Yes. The Extraterrestrial.
1: Yeah, true. Man. Look at you and your alliteration and Spielberg and his.
0: Oh, it's because I grew up in a Baptist church. I'm all about the alliteration. (laughs) Oh my my God. You don't have
1: to be Baptist because, yeah, it was the same for me.
0: I have no idea.
1: Fundamentalist churches love their alliteration also. Mm. Don't worry.
0: They love their things that begin with P, too. Mm, mm. Pretzels. (laughs) Power of Christ compels you. Just
1: power in general. Power
0: mostly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He also pioneered. The major use of special effects beginning with E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Mm -hmm. a few scenes of which were shot very near where we live.
1: That's right.
0: And even the movies that he just, quote unquote, produced, he also stepped in and and directed a whole lot. Mm -hmm. He did step in to direct a lot of second unit stuff on The Goonies when they were behind schedule. Nice. So our director, Richard Donner, Mm -hmm. he is a very famous older director who did the original Superman movie with Christopher Reeve?
1: I had no idea.
0: That was see, I didn't either. That was the main thing for him directing this movie in the 80s. Huge deal. Very famous guy. People were like, whoa, the Superman guy yeah. is making this movie. I gotta see it. Wow. So yeah, very famous guy, very successful career. He did six episodes of the original Twilight Zone. He had directed The Omen, he did the Lethal Weapon movies, Scrooged. And three episodes of Tales from the Crypt.
1: Nice.
0: Uh, Real mixed bag of credits. Very successful guy. And it's really uh, serendipitous. I don't know if that's the right word. He died just last year Mm. in July.
1: Oh my God.
0: Which was right about the time we were getting everything started for our podcast.
1: That's true. It was July 5th. Holy cow.
0: He was 91 years old.
1: That's crazy. Very, Man, rest in very peace. insane.
0: Which the last big thing to do with the Goonies cast, Josh Gad during COVID did sort of a online, let's get the cast of shows together. Yeah. So he had the cast of the Goonies and everybody who made the Goonies nice. come on to wow. his little Zoom call. How did
1: I miss that?
0: <laughs> Donner appeared on that on Zoom.
1: That's cool.
0: Just as soon as he got his technology working just as spry, just as present. Wow. And then he would have passed away, you know, a year later. Yeah. So that's the last thing he appeared on that I could find. And I mean, wow. They they couldn't say enough good things about working with him. I mean,
1: that's impressive for a director. It like,
0: really is. Everybody you know, loved him so much. Like,
1: directors can make enemies. Like it, it happens. Sometimes you don't have the same philosophy or style of creating, you know, like it. it's- yeah. It's yeah, easy to butt heads. Definitely. So I love when you hear of a director that people like and enjoy working with.
0: In this Making of the Goonies behind the scenes documentary I watched, which is really only a few minutes long, depicted a lot of how like he would interact with the kids. A lot of his tactics with like how he would get performances out of them. He was very silly with them. Um, and he said at one point that their energy rubbed off on him. <laughs> So he's like talking with them, joking with them, messing with them, <laughs> acting out scenes, being the kids, being silly, going through the energy like himself. Oh, yeah. As this older man, just like being a kid in these scenes, showing them what to do. That's so cool. Yeah. Cause he's having to like humble himself. For the performance.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's half of it. It's just finding what you want. And
0: he's this dope ass, like, I did Superman. I'm awesome.
1: But, that, you know? but that's the magic of his directing, though, is that he knows how to kind of get in the middle of it. Oh, it's amazing. And I mean, it, when I have directed things, like, I didn't know that's what I would do. Yeah, I you had do no too. Idea. Yeah. I loved it when you.
0: <laughs> and it's I've not- seen some directors give really bad direction <laughs> when they act out the scene, but you always nailed it. You always told me exactly what you wanted me to do it is
1: so funny to me too because it's like i could not act my way out of a paper bag i don't feel like i could act to save my life You're better than you think but when i'm directing i'm in a totally different headspace oh well, yeah it's
0: a different uh, approach to it yeah, yeah
1: so yeah. it allows me to be more loose with it and like mm-hmm. you know jump jump in and I talk about this sometimes, and this is not about me. And I am nowhere near on the level of Mr. Donner. So I don't (laughs) even know. Yeah, so tell me
0: about your years studying under (laughs) Dick.
1: I don't want to go there. But like the importance of, like you said, kind of humbling yourself and getting in there in the middle of it and making it happen, feeling what they're feeling and helping them understand what you want them to feel or what you expect. Like a lot of people are really hands off. Yeah. And I think there's a healthy balance. I think you can bring to the table like what the actors bringing. Like I never want to be the kind of director that's like I don't care what you think about the character. Yeah, no. If they're embodying the character, I want to know every thought that they have. Yeah, you know about the character and why they. What you've discovered. Yeah. What do you think your motivations are? Yeah. And then only if there were still questions or, you know, there there was still any confusion about the scene, that's when I felt like I could jump in and kind of bring clarity to it, but also bring to the table, like bring in what they you know have discovered about the character
0: themselves but to and it do sounds that, like that's
1: exactly what he does yeah
0: to do that with all the weight and all the pressure oh, yeah and everything on your shoulders to still be able to get into the moment with the actors i mean that's yeah. really what separates the greats from the people who want to be great yeah to do that is it's really, a huge really deal hard
1: It's like so much compartmentalization. Like you just have to decide that you only care about this thing Mm. in this moment. Yeah. And that's – it's a lot like love and it's a lot like, (laughs) you know, just those moments in life where like you feel like nothing else matters. That's what it's like. Yeah. You just get into them and totally try to be there.
0: Practicing consciousness. Like I've been doing Exactly.
1: Mindfulness. Mindfulness.
0: With my my therapy and my – That's right. My yoga I've been doing. Yeah, totally, totally. So, some really great quotes from uh, Donner himself. He said, It's the most difficult thing I ever thought I was going to get through. I never anticipated what it was going to be like because individually, they're wonderful. They're nuts. They're the warmest, craziest little things that have ever come into my life. (laughs) But in a composite form, you get all (laughs) of them together and it's mind blowing. And yet, it's probably the most gratifying experience because, in an odd sort of way, a lot of their energy and excitement is rubbing off on me. And it's very, 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 very gratifying. <laughs> so talk about being like grateful for the experience and loving what you do. Oh yeah. For him to be like, man, they drive me crazy, but I'm loving every minute of it. Yeah. Like, that's just so cool. I
1: mean, I have that thought while I was watching it. Like, I don't know how you would manage this chaos. I, just I don't know, don't know need, how you would do it.
0: You'd need a a parent for every kid to be like, all right, now you pay attention.
1: Right. But it sounds like that was part of the magic of it is that you didn't, he let, he knew the balance he let them of that. Do it. He mm-hmm. let that happen in order to, you know, capture the essence of it, which is part of what's magic about the movie. Mm-hmm. He knew how to let that run wild, but not so wild that they weren't productive.
0: Right, right. And that's tough. And I bet we have like school teachers in here oh, listening man. to this. They're like, episode yeah, we do going, this
1: every day. I do this with, with 30 closed. plus
0: kids every day in, in in a room at a time. What are you talking yeah. about? 5?
1: <laughs> nothing. It's nothing. That's so
0: funny. It's so funny. <laughs> but he loves them. Like he loves those kids who are now fully grown.
1: And I mean, uh, you can adults. see it in the film. That he did. Totally. He loved it.
0: He said that he had Spielberg looking over his shoulder the whole time, which he had to love because Spielberg was the biggest kid of all, he said, (laughs) and always had the best ideas.
1: I can see that.
0: Which makes so much sense. Yeah. And that that lends to the whole like, they would just come up with ideas on the spot, literally, and say, let's just do that. And they would throw things at the movie. It wasn't even scripted. Mm -hmm. Crazy stuff.
1: I love that. Yeah. I was wondering as I watched as well, I was Mm -hmm. excited to hear from you because- It feels like so much of this, there's just no way you could script it.
0: It just happened in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I loved that he said was that he said he never saw it as this adventure fantasy movie. He saw it as a documentary of the lives of these kids that call yeah. themselves the Goonies, right?
1: Oh, yeah. You know that
0: I love that. <laughs> totally. Me too. And he he laughed it off. He was like, yeah, well, maybe that was a mistake. But you can tell he knows that wasn't a mistake. Not and at all. we watch it and we go, no, sir, that was not a mistake. That's what you have to do. I wish more directors, it happens sometimes, but I wish more films were made from a documentary perspective.
1: Me too. I really do. I love that it just, so just It's much. so
0: much more real and tangible.
1: I mean- I feel like Stranger Things took a, a page from that book.
0: I, I would say so. It's documenting these. It, lives. They stepped yeah, out of it a little events. bit. You
1: kind of it. It just makes it feel more real. Mm-hmm. It's hard to explain to somebody like, well, that wasn't made like a documentary. It was a Spielberg movie. Like, right? But no, it's the it's the spirit behind it
0: yeah it's the essence And what
1: you yeah. choose like where you the choose energy. to put the camera where you, what you choose to capture what you choose to keep in the edit even mm-hmm. like the spirit of it being a documentary is so much different
0: than thinking
1: of it like a big blockbuster movie right
0: even the sound design
1: and it, it puts you there it puts the audience there in a way that most movies don't yeah Truly. It's, hard. it's so hard to articulate. I know we're both like stumbling and trying to, to find the words because there really aren't. It is a spirit of the idea that it comes down to.
0: All right. So on to Chris Columbus. Here we go. Freaking Chris <laughs> Columbus is younger than I thought he was. He's younger than all these other people. How old is and he? And it's really astounding. I don't know how old he is right now.
1: Well, how, how old was he when he made Goonies? Let me see. Yeah, I want to know this. (laughs) This is very of paramount importance to me.
0: He's 63 now.
1: Oh, so he would have been in his 30s.
0: Almost like, it was like 35 years ago now. 85, 95, 05, 15. (laughs) Yeah, like 35 years ago.
1: Caitlin and Christian do math. We do math. (laughs) It's a segment nobody wanted.
0: So like 35, 40 years ago, he would have been 30, right? How math works? I think so. He was about 30. He was like our age
1: man.
0: So when when Chris Columbus wrote this script, he was in his 20s. Right. So this is one of the craziest, he has one of the craziest stories and you're just going to shit your pants right now. You ready for this?
1: <laughs> I'm ready.
0: Young kid, he goes to NYU film school and just begins writing scripts. Okay. His fourth script that he ever wrote- Which is just pissing me off to talk about.
1: Like the number four. One, two, three, four.
0: Count them on your fingers. One, two, three, four. One,
1: two, three, four. Okay. His
0: fourth script was optioned by Steven Spielberg. Jesus. You know what that script was called? The Goonies? Gremlins.
1: Okay. (laughs) Close enough. Close enough. Man. So
0: he moves to Los Angeles to do rewrites for the Gremlins movie while living in Steven Spielberg's bungalow on the Universal Studios campus. Oh. And from there, he went on to write two more scripts for Mr. Spielberg, mm-hmm. one of which was The Goonies. So from this experience, he evolved into directing with major successes, mm-hmm. such as the first two Home Alone movies mm-hmm. Mrs. Doubtfire, yeah. another one that I watched a whole lot, and Home Alone, of course, Bicentennial Man, mm-hmm. the first two Harry Potter movies. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really funny because Spielberg turned down Harry Potter.
1: Crazy. I don't
0: know if you know that story. I don't think I do. Yeah, they, they originally wanted Spielberg to do Harry Potter... They were in talks with him, and he was going to animate the whole thing.
1: Holy cow. He was
0: like, well, if I do it, I'm going to animate it, and I'm going to make the first movie the first three books or something like that. And they were like, never mind. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) You're not not the guy for us.
1: Wow. Instead, we'll get your protege.
0: And then also, Columbus did Rent.
1: Yes, I did know that. Yes.
0: And the Percy Jackson movie, which was big at the time.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, He also wrote Christmas with the Cranks, which I thought was pretty funny. I
1: liked that movie.
0: And apparently, he has written the script for, and we'll get to it. Goonies 2. Oh, yeah. And Gremlins 3. I read about that. So it's really interesting because he grew up in this like factory town in Ohio, small town. He said there was nothing to do. It was boring as hell. And all they wanted to do was get out, which I'm sure just fueled his imagination for survival. And he said that like the closest thing to adventure he had there was exploring this old abandoned coal mine um, in the town. So I have to say that that bled into his whole writing this adventure story for kids because he had for to sure. think for his entire life, what if we found something really cool and they probably never did? I mean,
1: we all think like that, you know? I figured we would bring that oh, up at we some all, point.
0: I always thought I was going to find treasure. But
1: I Oh, yeah. I had that in my head. Always. The idea of time capsules fascinated me. Mm-hmm. Like, I would bury them and then dig them up like two weeks later because I was too impatient. Like... <laughs> It the whole the whole idea of lost treasure was oh man just intoxicating to and, all children and there's
0: something about the 80s and these adventure movies is like these tiny little pocket sized adventure movies they're not fantasy worlds they don't cross terrain they are yeah. inside their town where they live they're finding yeah. the magic where they live which I love I prefer that. me too like far and away so the Goonies are finding it in the caves of. Astoria, which we're about to discuss. Mm-hmm. And in like Stand By Me, they go on this big long trek through the woods and they cross yeah. train tracks and they do this crazy stuff to find the, the dead body in the woods. And it's just like down the highway, it's not that far. Right. And I had that realization growing up at, at one point where you have these big adventure concepts in your mind from childhood of like, well, you have your imagination, you think, I could find a body in the woods. I could find a buried treasure. I could find
1: anything. I could
0: find these yeah. things.
1: Narnia. <laughs>
0: Narnia, or you've got Coraline, or you've got whatever. There's always this world behind your world that you can find. And I realized, like, I could start walking and just see where it takes me. And I'm like, well, it's already all mapped out. I could follow the train track, but the train just cuts through town. Yeah. I could look at a map and find out where the, where the train tracks go. That's not fun. I wanted to, like, explore terrain that had never been explored, you know? Mm-hmm. I want something new. Yeah, that's just part of growing up and realizing that the world's already sort of mapped out.
1: (laughs) A lot of it has been discovered already, but that's okay.
0: But then you have stories like the Goonies of finding it in your backyard. Right. It's right there. In this case, it's hidden in the attic.
1: Whether or not you're equipped to deal with it.
0: Ooh, you have to say yes to the adventure. That's always Mm -hmm. the first step. Yeah. And speaking of terrain and cities and where people (laughs) live.
1: <laughs> oh, oh! this is a great segue. <laughs> this? I'm on board. <laughs> Go getting, ahead.
0: Getting really good at this podcasting thing. <laughs> Where they live is a town called Astoria. Yes. And this is a real place in Oregon. I never knew that either until recently. I think I knew. Never been up to the Northwest.
1: I ever, never have either, so. to be fair. I've been to the West Coast. I've been to the West Coast, but
0: not the like Pacific the Pacific Northwest. Northwest or
1: anything. So, hey, if you're up there, uh, we want to come see ya.
0: <laughs> yeah, we want to visit. Let us know what it's what it's like and how much you love that rain and if you've ever met Edward Cullen. Oh, geez. <laughs> oh, that's a different state. It's Washington. Sorry.
1: Still Pacific Northwest.
0: So when they were location scouting for this movie, they basically just got in a car and took a road trip up the West Coast. All these beach towns looking for the right, you know, lo- location. Mm-hmm. So they went up from Los Angeles all the way up until they landed in Astoria. It was this whole idea where they were like, man, this place sucks. <laughs> I think like the next day the sun came out and it stopped raining and they just saw how beautiful it was. And they were like, oh my God, we have to film here.
1: Nice.
0: So much of the Goonies was filmed on location in Astoria, Oregon.
1: I love that because it didn't have to be. It
0: didn't have to be. It could have been anywhere. And I mean, Columbus said that he wanted to set it in Ohio originally.
1: Yeah. I like the coastal.
0: Also filmed in Astoria, the Black Stallion.
1: Really? Kindergarten
0: cop. Free Willy.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles (laughs) 3. The Ring 2. And the Into the Wild movie. I think there were others, but those are the ones that matter to me. Wow. And I've always loved this setting. Like, you watch it. It's this, like cozy kind of cold kind of rainy beach town port
1: yeah town port city pretty much everything i read watched everything as a kid was a beach town yeah i don't know if that's part of why i have my issues like i've told you before i could never live i don't feel like i could ever live in a place where i was landlocked
0: yeah i have to be near water and i don't even like
1: i don't even like the water (laughs) i don't (laughs) like to go on the water right but i i feel like i couldn't live without it and i kind yeah i kind of wonder if it isn't because of that maybe because of of all the of the media things you from my childhood yep. that were set in the beach towns, even down to like Rocket Power mm-hmm. and The Weekenders, they were all on the beach.
0: There was a lot of emphasis. All the
1: novels the I beach. liked as a kid. I mean,
0: because most of the stuff was produced in Los Angeles and in the California area. Sure. So they were all like beach focused. This is
1: right here. It's yeah. right here.
0: So let's make it the beach. Yeah. And
1: I mean, that was relatable to us <laughs> only because we lived, we lived near, near the, the Gulf beach. Coast. Yeah. Like, we have that element. It's nothing like the West Coast, but at the same time,
0: but it still it feels like home. Yeah, I mean, it. Any of those places could be Gulf Shores. Just yeah, it's we a cooler know the, version. We know
1: the beach town. We know yeah. it. We we know it. We've lived it.
0: Pensacola for sure. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I've just always loved it. Like the visuals of the city. The weather changed there so often that when it wasn't raining, they had to like wet the streets, which is called a wet down, and film production terms. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there are scenes you can see if you look. The sun is shining so bright. It's clearly not raining, mm-hmm. but the streets are wet.
1: They're like, this isn't what we want. Yeah,
0: <laughs> And in Astoria, the fictional part of town where they live is called the Goondocks, but that is not a real place in Astoria. <laughs> Bummer. I never found anything about why they chose the Goonies or the Goondocks, I'm sure it's a combination between the boondocks.
1: I was about to say that, yeah.
0: And g- calling somebody a goon because they were all outcasts. I'm sure it had right. to do with all that thrown together. And they stirred it up in a big old soup. Mm-hmm. And they decided and good. we're just going to call them the Goonies. And apparently they were called something else before the Goonies, like the Goon Boys or something weird. I don't know. Mm. I'm glad it's the Goonies. That makes way yeah, more
1: sense. It does. Probably because we've been hearing it for,
0: you know... Yeah, forever, right? <laughs> <clears throat> Remember, you know that, that movie the Goon Boys? What a cool movie. Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: <clears throat> I'm losing my voice already.
1: Oh,
0: no. I'm getting hoarse. Um, so, as we're going to get into more with the plot of this movie, we get into the history of Astoria with these, this treasure map and this pirate. That's all rather grandiose. But the real history of Astoria is, in my opinion, equally as exciting. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because I'm a nerd, (laughs) and I like history.
1: Most likely, you're in good company. I feel like anyone Mm -hmm. listening. I was
0: a history minor in college. With
1: our powers combined, you're history, I'm sociology, and we bring it all together. Ooh,
0: exactly. And together, somehow, we find fiction and psychology. That's right. Fix into that that weird entree dish. (laughs) But if we don't know our history... Then we're destined to repeat it. That's
1: right. Yeah. Love those jingles. Anyway,
0: so let's jump into the real history of
1: Please story Please,
0: There's a lot there. Okay, there's a whole lot that I'm not going to talk about. But what I found interesting, the first of these two points is that the Lewis and Clark expedition spent a very cold, rainy, miserable winter there from 1805 to 1806.
1: You don't say.
0: I did say it. I'll say it again, too. <laughs> But you just I did. love that. And it made me really want, you know what people do? Like, you know, I've walked the Appalachian Trail, the Appalachian. Mm-hmm. I want to do the Lewis and Clark Expedition.
1: That would be really cool.
0: I wonder if I can sign up for that and do
1: Wherever it. Wherever Sacagawea found them and saved their asses.
0: But do it in style. Wear sunglasses.
1: <laughs> That's, yeah, the epitome of style is That's
0: sunglasses. how I do things in style. I just wear sunglasses. And then
1: you're doing it in style.
0: So the second and the more. <laughs> Important thing here that <laughs> I loved and does pertain to our podcast. Astoria was named after John Jacob Astor or Johann Jakob Astor. He was John German. Jacob
1: Jingleheimer John Jacob Pingelheimer. John
0: Jacob Astor Bastard Smith. Yeah.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: He was the owner of the American Fur Company, who created a subsidiary called the Pacific Fur Company to begin fur trading in the Oregon country, <laughs> which was all up for grabs. Early, early American history yeah. between the British, the French Canadia, and, of course, these settlers in the what is now the U.S.
1: Except for the natives that, you know, were there first and owned the land.
0: Yes. Not to dismiss the fact that there were <laughs> many Native American tribes all over across this continent who really deserve to be here or still be here.
1: More than anyone that fought for these lands.
0: More than anybody else. Just, you know, let's just, yeah, make yeah. that clear. Disclaimer. Yeah. This is not our country. We are guests here, as Ben Kessel said.
1: Yep. You are on native are land. Guests. Remember that you are on native land. Oh my God.
0: Yes. Never forget. Never give up. Never surrender.
1: <laughs> Never say die.
0: Never say die. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, as we said, there's all these different people there. The British and the French Canadian fur traders were already there. And this guy who ran most of the American fur trade said, oh, I'm going to move up there into Oregon territory and I'm going to start my own company there. I so, like the
1: voice that you're doing. You
0: like that Kermit the Frog?
1: Yeah. I see what Kermit was doing there. Mm, so
0: <laughs> I can't, now. I can't even do it now. That was pretty good um, Oh man. <laughs> it's either Bill Cosby or Kermit the Frog. I can't.
1: I know. Usually I think it's Cosby, but there was some Kermit in that
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> and be being green. There's, um, your, there's so, Cosby. <laughs> no, that was Kermit the Frog. My Kermit no, Cosby. But- <laughs> During the war of 18, okay, God damn it. During the War of 1812, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the Pacific fur trade, fur company, sold its assets to Canada. So they were like, you know, screw you, England. If we have to pick one of you to sell out to, it's going to be Canada.
1: Okay.
0: Um, which makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So, whew. all right, everybody. rein it back in. Here we go. This is important stuff. This is American American history. Yes,
1: teacher. Yes, teacher. Tell us.
0: Pay attention, you kids. <laughs> (laughs) So, Aster, Mm -hmm. he had to sell out. He had to quit. Okay. He lost this venture.
1: Yep.
0: Whoops. Aster, in the true American spirit, Mm -hmm. commissioned writer Washington Irving, Uh
1: Uh who was a historian.
0: Uh I don't know if we've really made that clear. We've talked a lot about Washington Irving writing fiction and collecting old stories, collecting old narratives, and rewriting these stories in fiction. But he was also a historian. He wrote a lot of world history. you go, Washington Irving, yeah, some of it's flawed, and I don't know enough about it to argue that. Some people I know have a problem with certain texts He's written with as as it goes with a lot of historical texts that describe events of history. They're, it's all flawed. Mm-hmm. But he was a historian. And apparently, he was a writer for hire. <laughs> so Astor commissioned Irving to mythologize this three year reign of the Pacific Fur Company up in Oregon country. Uh So furs at the time, for anybody who doesn't know, had become a major commodity in Europe. And North America was a major supplier of this commodity.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So on top of that, Irving had a lot of pull with his European audience. Uh So Astor said, Hmm, I'm going to hire you to tell Europe that I was very successful here. Even though I lost to the Europeans here who were trying to beat me and mm-hmm. then did beat me.
1: Just like a guy to rewrite some history.
0: You know, if this doesn't make him a true American hero, I don't know <laughs> what
1: does. Oh, man.
0: I really don't know because this is how history is written. Yeah. This is one of the few instances in which history was written by the loser. Oh, geez. This and, you know, Nazi Germany Oof. a little after World War One. Oh. But- Anyway, we were not going to go there today.
1: <laughs> There's so many places. Maybe one day, Go, but not today.
0: So Irving wrote a book called Astoria or Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains. I,
1: I've heard that title. Have you? Yeah. Why? I don't know why. I
0: don't know. I've never heard of it. Hmm. Hmm.
1: I watch a lot of weird history genealogy TV shows, and I feel like that's kind of As up. you
0: should. Yeah. More power to you. Yeah. I'll take your recommendations, to be honest. <laughs> An example of the, the mythology here with this whole fur trading thing, in Irving's words, the fur traders were the Sinbad's of the wilderness, reference to Sinbad the Sailor, mm-hmm. and he described Astor's expedition to Oregon to establish this company. Making the failure of the venture something of an old adventure narrative that painted Astor as one of the earliest American heroes, yeah.
1: as I said. Those who get to write history mm. get to be heroes.
0: It's all about optics, isn't it? It, it it's is. It's almost like it only matters what it looks like, not what it actually was. You say
1: it to me, working in marketing. Mm.
0: So, but you know, Astor wasn't without his successes. He was the first multi millionaire in US history. Wow. Um, but this is the last thing I'll say about this. I thought it was really funny. Irving hired his nephew to help him with the research of this whole thing, and uh, in one letter he wrote to his nephew, he basically was like, yeah, we're going to do the whole Pacific for Company thing. We're going to talk about the expedition. Sure, sure, sure. I'm going to do my job. Sure, sure, sure. But the reason why I'm actually doing this is because I want to document everything beyond the Rocky Mountains. I have a chance to document history here, because it was relatively undocumented Mm -hmm. at the time. Right. I mean, very little was known. So he basically was like, I'm going to- he
1: was going to talk about it and be able to to take it back to his European- Well, for a lot of
0: Americans who hadn't- This is before the Oregon Trail.
1: True, yeah. Okay. This
0: is before all that. So um, even most people in the colonies- Didn't know. Well- You say Europe, everybody here was from Europe. Right, yeah,
1: it was all European So this is for the world at that
0: point, the first world, the West, the Western world. People, a lot of people really didn't know what was beyond the Rocky Mountains because nobody would venture through the Rocky Mountains to get there. Who'd want to do that?
1: Yeah, I mean, terrifying. So
0: he was like, oh man, I can be the voice of this, you know, Pacific coast. I get to map everything out. So he took it as a personal opportunity for his own career and his own success, and then the actual expedition and everything with Astor was sort of secondary in his mind, which I think is pretty cool.
1: Yeah,
0: it makes me want to read it because it would have been a first look at that part of the world. You
1: yeah, know? he he knew that it was bigger than it was
0: bigger than this just this dude
1: that wanted to have stupid yeah, yeah a business legacy.
0: venture. Yeah, but that's the uh, background of Astoria, wow. in Oregon,
1: Astoria, Oregon can add it to our list of places that we have to
0: go yeah i won't talk too much shit about astoria we're gonna visit you and add (laughs) you to our podcast tour and (laughs) come say what's up you can still visit the uh, goonies house or you you? can go see it in
1: astoria that's so cool Mm
0: -hmm. it's still there yeah yeah wow it was a museum for a while but i don't i think it's privately owned but you can still or at least for a while you could still book tours
1: man we're gonna go to the hocus pocus house Mm mm-hmm in house
0: oh it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be awesome and that's where we'll leave off part one of our three part Goonies movie
1: night part one part one yeah man there's just so much to say isn't there we've got so much to get through <laughs> aren't you guys glad this is a series now yeah. aren't you glad Christian loves to make series out of this podcast aren't you glad
0: <laughs> you better be glad you better be glad I'm glad we can't
1: wait though. It'll be fun. We've got a lot of awesome stuff coming at you in part yeah, two. Next time. That was time. just
0: a taster. So yeah. Check in next time for part two of Goonies.
1: We can't wait to get back in your ears. Mm. But until then, <laughs> you know, have a good one or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening, guys.
1: Bye. Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark written and produced by Christian Baxter-Mott and Kaylin Andrews.
0: Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration.
1: Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast.
0: Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone.
1: So until next time, sweet dreams, everyone.